Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. Hey, everyone. Uh, good to see you all. Now, I'm in charge of the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing, which I've never done before, so I've no fucking clue what I'm doing. I'm going to try and read some some questions as they come in. So please ask questions. I think it's on YouTube. It's on the platform, uh, anywhere else, Twitter as well. Um, and we'll have some fun doing this. Now, I've got Ovi. He was a good friend of mine. And what I love about him, he's not only an artist, but he's a finance guy, he's a macro guy, he's a DJ, and he's all of the things. Um, so, Ovi, do you want to just give people a bit of your background? I know you've been on Real Vision before, but for the, for people who don't know uh, your background, because that's why I think we we can have a great conversation as ever, because we just got so much stuff that we understand. We speak the same language. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. It's good to good to be on Real Vision again. Um, yeah, so I mean, I started my career as a trader. I worked at an investment bank and traded um, high yield and distressed credit for about ten years. I did that for about ten years. Um, I didn't touch crypto until January 2021. So I was very crypto skeptic for many years because, just like any rational finance person, I couldn't uh, figure out how to value it. But uh, come 2021, I finally convinced myself to buy Bitcoin, ETH, and then I fell into uh, the, the NFT rabbit hole. What made you do that? So I started to get my head around um, the idea of it being an inflation hedge in a low interest rate environment. Like I, I got this idea of it being digital gold. And, um, you know, actually when I was on the trading desk, I just wanted to put on some kind of inflation trade, but there was nothing in my book where I could express that in, in a powerful way. So I was like, oh, let me just do it PA. But when you work at a bank, you're obviously prevented from trading stocks. And there's all these kind of like, Rules and regulations, but there's no, no, there's nothing with crypto. So I was like, you know what? This finally actually makes sense to me. Like I actually see a macro narrative for it to work. Um, and so then I jumped into Bitcoin. And then you know, for NFTs, we were looking at. I was looking at with Mando, my friend. We were looking at investing in art or collectibles, and then we stumbled onto NFTs. So it's just like you had this idea of like crypto plus collectibles in this um, inflationary environment. And you know, to us, that just seemed like that could, that could really be the, the big trade. And um, it ended up being so in 2021. So that's how I uh, how I stumbled into that world and, and ended up leaving my job to, to do it all full time. And then you became an artist as well. I mean, you were you were involved in art when you were younger, right? And then you you yeah. came back and you became an artist. So not only were you a trader and active participant in the space, you actually became you know one of the better known artists and then end up with one of the better known PFP projects. Give us a bit of that journey as well because it's great. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So I used to, so before going to university, I basically spent all my time online. I taught myself how to code. I used to create a lot of digital art. And back then there was this platform, and it's, which still exists now, called DeviantArt. And there was no crypto, you know, I'm talking about 15, 16 years ago. So there's no crypto there. There's no real effective way to monetize it. So it was just something that people would do because they enjoyed doing it, something that I just did as a pastime. So I did that for about 10 years. And when I turned 18, went to university, discovered more fun things to do, like going out, drinking alcohol, and and, and pursuing a, a career in trading. So I just didn't touch any of it for for a long, long time, really, um, until COVID. And then I started painting a bit again in COVID. And then, um, you know, I, I actually came into NFTs through wanting to collect them. And I had the itch to start creating again, but I just I wasn't sure because the the space had moved so much in the last 15 years. I was just blown away by all the talent. So it took me a while. It took me six or seven months to actually create anything and put anything out there. But eventually, I did, which was the the wrecked guy, you know, meme and, and project that that's that is that's been that that it's been built into now. But um, 
personally out in September 2021. Then I put a new piece out every two or three weeks, and you know, eventually they started selling for higher prices, and and more and more people got involved, and um, you know, had an addition which managed to create a community out of. And then in you know, right before the markets crashed, we did the the Rex guy drop in in May 2022, which was just pure luck in terms of timing. We never really intended it, intended it to be that way. Um, and yes, that was the journey there. And did you imagine that Rec Guy was going to end up being kind of as iconic as it has been? Because, you know, it was a bit of a joke because everyone was getting utterly wrecked in everything just around, just the perfect timing. But, you know, it's, it's now a very vibrant community, right? Yeah. With it's... no promises to anybody about anything, nothing, just the meme. Yeah, it's just, it's grown into something that I never thought it would. Originally, the plan was, hey, I just wanted to create a profile picture as an extension of my art using this character that featured in lots of the pieces and didn't really want to charge anything for it because I didn't really think it was serious. So um, it was a, ended up being a free mint. Like it was, it was free to mint. We didn't charge for it. And it was one of those things where I was like, I'm going to just put this out there. And it was something I was working on on the side, evenings and weekends. And um, when it was done, it was like, okay, this is done. And then, you know, we'll just see what happens next and probably move on to something else. And here's just like a token of appreciation or an experiment. But, you know, when I generated the final images, they just came out really well. And I just kind of got that special feeling that this had something more to it than I originally anticipated. And when we dropped the collection and we saw the response to it, um, again, I, you know, Amanda and I got that feeling that we were like, hey, this is actually maybe an opportunity. Like people for whatever reason people are really connecting and resonating with this and then we had the whole market crash so it just became a, a place for people to come and drown their sorrows in in, in our discord dive bar as we call it because <laughs> i remember well, i bought it pretty quick on at the same time snoop dog everybody just yeah. it was one weekend that it hit everybody's radar screen and everyone's like yeah this is fun i'm getting involved in this yeah yeah exactly and i guess that's the way viral things work sometimes you don't really plan for them they, you know, they come, um, come out of thin air and come out of nowhere. And I guess they feel organic. People like that organic kind of feeling. And you know, if we tried to plan to make it what it was, then it wouldn't have worked. And I, I think just because we were so care, not careless, but carefree about it, I think um, uh, just gave it that kind of like organic grassroots kind of feeling, which I think people um, appreciated. And, but yeah, we're still, still going strong today because people see, seem to forever get wrecked in crypto, whether it's the bull market <laughs> or the bear market. So we're, we're always be there as a shoulder to cry on. <laughs> so look, we've had this whole week of content, this crypto gathering. You came on earlier with um, Mando and um, Sergio, I think, talk about NFTs. I want to recap some of this stuff, get some of your thoughts, but I'm going to put something on you that I've been wanting to tell you that I've not said is I think you crashed the NFT market. <laughs> and I'll tell you why, not, you know, not in a Machiavellian sense, is because there were no buyers, because the market was on its ass generally, yeah. the stuff that you guys, the inventory that you guys sold just kept getting recycled amongst the same farmers. And it was, it, it was part of the loop of that liquidity getting recycled. You know, you've seen it again in distressed markets, stuff like that. Everyone dumps inventory on each other, on each other, on each other as prices clear. And I think that was maybe the turning point that pushed the whole blur cycle. Yeah, look, that's a good point. And it's something that I see a lot on Twitter and, you know, the reply oh, guys. really? I didn't realize. Uh... Yeah, yeah. And I, I've asked myself that question. I think, um, I think the answer is yes and no. Like, did we, um, did we start something? Probably yes. Like, we made, a big, we made a very large sale to someone who didn't want the risk and he then had to re recycle it. Um, and that has repercussions. You know, that's like $9, $10 million of NFT risk. That's just like floating around out there being passed from person to person to person. Um, I think if it wasn't us, I think someone else would have done it. You know, sure. I think there are large holes of punks. They, you know, they I want to blame you. Just because <laughs> I can. Well, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take that on the chin. <laughs> no, because I mean, that was, you know, I, I know you guys talked about it. That, that was an uh, amazing sale. But it's, you know, again, we're both TradFi people. And we've seen this a hundred times before. Is when the market has no buyers, market makers recycle the same risk. And they have to keep dumping each other on lower and lower prices, right? So whether it's you guys, it's just the market in general had no buyer. So nothing cleared. Yeah. Um, I, let's talk about the blur farming thing, because I, I have a feeling my, my hypothesis is, and 
I'm less in it than you are, is that all of these people were farming hoping for the future token, of which they don't know what the value is. They kind of mark it on the previous token price, and the token price just keeps going down. I'm guessing at the end of all of this, they're creating a bit of a death spiral of the token, and everybody's not is going to lose money. And that liquidity is probably going to dry up because that incentive ended up being seemed like a good idea to start with. And then as ever with incentives, you're not careful to become perverse incentives. How do you think about this whole blur thing? Yeah, look, I agree with you. It's a funny one because when they had the season one of farming, everyone, the consensus view, and everyone was saying that, oh, well, when this token comes, it's going to be worthless. Look at LuxRare, look at um, X2, Y2, these other marketplace tokens, they're basically worthless. So most people didn't even bother to farm in, in season one of the airdrop and they massively underpriced the value of it. And then what happens when the airdrop came, they only released a very small amount of the um, fully diluted market cap and it, it rallied and everyone, it was real money. It was like, oh, wow, like we didn't think it'd be worth anything and it is. And then the problem was they did season two farming and everyone extrapolated, as you, as you rightly said, everyone extrapolated that valuation to, oh, I can get more if I just start, you know, trading NFTs basically and, and, and trying not to, you know, get lost, get left long in the inventory that I don't want to have. And I think the problem now is that you've had people who have been losing money and losing a lot of money, hoping that the value of this token will offset that money. And um, the farming, the level of farming is like tenfold compared to the, the farming that we saw in season one. Like you can just look at the NFT volumes during season two. They were like literally 10x the volumes, I think, that any of that, that, that collections were doing before. It was insane. Um, and so you have to think when they do this airdrop, every, all the people that, the biggest people that, you know, get the rewards just want to sell it and monetize it. And if they don't, it becomes a game of chicken. It's like, you know, who wants to hold it before they can, uh, who's the first person to flinch to, to, to sell it, then it all comes cascading lower. So it's really hard for me to think that that's going to be a profitable trade. Um, I'm aware that it's a very consensus view among everyone who is not in the farming game. And, you know, maybe something left field comes out where they come out on top. But I mean, some of these guys have lost tens of millions of dollars on on, on this stuff. Uh, and it's hard, I mean, very hard for me to see you'll get rewarded to to offset that, I think. Yeah, I just, it just feels like even if you give them the token now, they dump it anyway. So this token just keeps collapsing until something changes. And I don't know what Blur's intention is after they've done this, but they need to figure something out to motivate both buyers, sellers, listers, and everybody else in this, because what they've created is a mess. And if not, they're not going to exist. Yeah. I mean, one thing I would say is I think as a platform, it's really good. Like as a trader, you use it and you're like, wow, this is a material improvement to OpenSea or anything else out there. It's a very, very good platform. And I think Blur gets a lot of the blame in a market that was already a downtrending market. And it's like, well, did Blur cause crash did ov and mando cause the crash or was it that the market was falling anyway and some people just accelerated that and by the way like you know if you were bearish nfts you've had liquidity from blur at every point of the way in the last nine months to sell it as much as you wanted to i mean we did it we, we took that liquidity and sold it anyone could have done it right um so from that angle it's like well you, you know you're upset now because nfts have fallen a lot lower in the last nine months but had you recognized that they would nine months ago and or even six months ago or three months ago, you've had these opportunities to sell. And without Blur, the liquidity would have been materially worse because Blur created a, even though it wasn't a real buyer, it created a buyer that didn't exist before and yeah. that wouldn't have existed. So if you wanted to you know, imagine a world with no Blur and it's a NFT bear market, it's just going to be like 20, 25%, 30% price gaps with no liquidity until eventually we find some, some stable ground. Whereas you know, NFTs have fallen a lot lower, but they're falling a lot lower in a very gradual chart all the way down with enough liquidity to be able to act all the way down rather than gappy price action. So, um, you know, I think with the Blur token, if they can find ways to incentivize people to use the platform in an environment where we're actually in a bull market and people want to use Blur because it is a good platform and it's much better than OpenSea and interest in NFTs return, then I think it could have some value. Um, and I think that's the other um, scenario that people aren't thinking of because we're just, you know, surrounded by all this negativity at the moment and it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, because it feels like, you know, how I'm thinking of it, and you probably are as well, is after everybody pukes the token, is there some value there? You know, yeah, yeah. Kind of could be interesting. One of the things I'm, I've been thinking through with NFTs, and again, no surprise to you, but to other people, I think people need to think this through more, is assets within an economy, particularly status assets or excess discretionary spending assets in an economy suffer when the economy shrinks. So we've seen it with houses in the in the meat space. We've seen houses, uh, Rolex watches, Patek Philippe's are pretty much everything. As the economy shrinks, less consumer spending um, and less recycled gains. So people aren't making any money, right? Everybody lost money last year in every single thing that they touched. So therefore, nobody's buying stuff, and you're not certainly not rewarding yourself with a new Rolex because you've you've made a lot of money. So that seems to apply for the ETH economy as well in exactly the same way. And we also find that assets tend to lag the business cycle somewhat. And so I've been observing this. Obviously, ETH was the first to bottom. Uh, You and I were pointing that out back in June of last year. ETH bottomed, rest of crypto bottomed, and then NFTs feel like they're bottoming now. We're in that process of market clearing prices. And what was amazing, as I wrote about in GMI, the chart of Rolexes and Patek Philippe is the same chart as, as Board Ape Yacht Club. <laughs> it really is, huh? Because <laughs> it's the same, it's almost the same buyer, right? Yeah. It's the, the same buyer with the same thing. And so, you know, when we're looking at the ETH economy now, it looks like it's starting to grow and come to life again. So I just look at this and think, crisis opportunities in NFTs. The issue is, is in what? <laughs> because all the good stuff, right? Art just, you know, if we're looking at the, ETH basing before Bitcoin moment and didn't hit a new low, it's the high end of the art market, right? It started decoupling and didn't fall. So how are you thinking through the opportunities going forwards? Because it's bloody difficult in NFTs. Yeah, it is. Look, I absolutely agree. You you will have the wealth effect of appreciating ETH that will come back into NFTs and people will want to buy that brand new PFP to flex or that great piece of art to um, show off how much money they've made in the bull market, whatever it is. People will absolutely want to do that because that is human nature and it has been for centuries. Um, but the the point that you raise, like what do you buy? It's a, it's a real tough one. And I think the market has kind of like corrected itself very, very quickly. You know, you had maybe a window of a few weeks to buy Fenders at 40 ETH or Ringers at 20 ETH or, you know, some of that um, iconic generative art stuff. Punks at, at 40, maybe even in, in the 30s at some point. And those have now all rallied back, um, not to levels where they were um, uh, in 2021, but they've, you know, they're a good 50 or 60% off of those because people have put that trade on as, hey, this is my ETH or my Bitcoin that I'm happy to buy at these prices because I know that I'm not going to get rugged or lose my money on it. And if it goes lower, it goes lower, but I'm, I'm happy to underwrite that risk. Um, but those have already moved. And, and maybe, you know, I think they'll still move higher, just like ETH and Bitcoin will in the next cycle, but they're obviously a big price range they're difficult to deploy capital in and um you know it's tough to buy something that you see is already like 50 or 60 percent off the low so the next thing is well what do you what do you buy out there and there's plethora of profile picture projects out there there's a plethora of like gaming projects out there um there's so many different things and it's it's like it's like the the altcoin market it's like the. i was about to say the exactly the same it's like it's bloody difficult unless you're really plugged into something it's the same, it's exactly the same thing. And I think I think Kobe said it, NFTs are just altcoins with pictures, and he was 100 percent right. Because it's like now if I if I tell you, well, which meme coin should you buy for the future? You're just like, well, maybe there's one or two that make sense, but I just don't know. There's all there's like thousands of them. I don't really know which one. And it's the same problem with NFTs. So I think what you have to do is, is two things. I think you have, one thing is you, you have to remember that NFTs are a collector's item. They're there to be collected. That's the, the primary use case of them to begin with. And Chances are, if you're still, if you're listening to this and you're still 
in and around NFTs, you probably have an appreciation for collecting things that you like, just like you might buy a nice watch or, or a nice handbag or whatever it is. So um, first and foremost, if you just buy things that you have an appreciation for, chances are you're not the only person that has an appreciation for it. And um, you can then therefore underwrite that risk if it goes to zero. And then, you know, you might get lucky if, if, it, if something goes a lot higher. But to pick something purely for speculation investment purposes, it's real tough. And you have to really work from the ground up. But the problem is you, you get it wrong and you just, there's no liquidity, right? You just, it just, um, you're outside one of the top collections. It all just goes to, goes to zero very fast. So it's, um, it's a tough one. And it's one that I think the answers to those questions might be clearer when we're in the beginning of that uptick for NFTs rather than at this stage here away from the well-known collections, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, some stuff, NFTs that are tied around kind of memberships, that's still interesting because you get utility, you know what you're getting. There are NFTs that have no utility, nothing else, like Red Guy or Crypto Dick Butts. Do they become iconic memes in the next cycle? Who the fuck knows, right? So it, it's very hard. The other thing that I'm observing is the rise of new AI art. You know, I'm obsessed by the Rupa Renesto life in West America. It's like yeah, incredible. It's striking, right? It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and then we're seeing some of the video format stuff as well. Um, and how I get around that is if I buy something like that, it's because I really like it. So I don't really give a shit if it goes down. Yeah. Um, it's different if they start trading at, you know, huge prices. But, you know, they're still at reasonable-ish prices. Um, how are you looking at what's interesting you in the art market? Yeah, I think AI art is, is super, super interesting because it's, um, you know, like generative art, this idea of, um, computer assisted technologies is the way I like to explain it to produce and create art is a narrative that works very well in this environment. And when you, um, you know, in the future, when you look back through the history of time, it's like, well, what, what kind of art do I want to collect during like the 2020s, well, I want to create stuff that had this idea of crypto and blockchain and AI and all this kind of stuff, um, which captured the zeitgeist and culture. So I think that's super interesting. But I think you, I think you want to find artists who are creative about using that technology, like just putting a prompt into Midjourney and saying, "Hey, this is like all the stuff I'm creating." Like, it's good. I think people create some nice stuff, but it's not, it's not going to excite traditional collectors. It's not going to excite like the the big guys that step in. So I think it's interesting to try and find people who use that technology in a creative or interesting way to to really display something that is art yeah it's, it's got to augment their creative creativity exactly. and not be their creativity so exactly. like again the life in west america it's kind of like x copies glitches it's like a glitch photograph of this photorealistic surrealist world and it's like you know that that's cool yeah. That, it's just cool because we hadn't seen anything like that before. Um, like X copy, you know, and his glitches. There's, you know, it, it's very interesting to see where some of this stuff is going, but it, it has to enhance the creativity. They have to be using it as a conduit and not it being the creativity. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's um, uh, an artist that I collected a lot of this year is an artist called Ork Orkan, um, who's an AI artist. And he writes a lot of bespoke scripts to like reproduce. Um, different pieces of art using AI. And, you know, I bought a piece where he fed in thousands of images from um, Oriental art from like the 1700s, 1800s that was actually painted by people from the West because they didn't, they didn't, they weren't, didn't have the ability to travel there. And it uses a reverse stable diffusion to, to actually output the various prompts. And then you reuse the prompts to recreate the art basically. And that for me is like, well, that's amazing. Like that's a, and the, the actual piece actually shows that entire process from, start to finish like the piece is the process if that makes sense and for me that was something incredible it's like wow this isn't just like some guy that's just used prompts he's actually shown you the entire um it's like mathematical proof from first principles like that's that's the best way i'd explain it as um uh having been a former mathematician at university but something like that i was like wow that's intellectually that's just like so satisfying to see something like that from start to finish um and that is a great example of something that i think is incredible just using ai and using you know, blockchain to have it as an NFT. I think that that kind of stuff, I think will do really, really well. Hey, everyone, we're gonna take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Um, 6529 mentioned something as he often does that makes me stop and think. 
Um, and he just said, we're too obsessed by current form, which is like, it needs to look like this, it needs to be that. It's like, you know, the elements of, I guess, 3D plus animation plus other things are things will likely come from this cycle and we'll take the world by storm again. I just don't know what that is, but how are you thinking through some of that? Or have you seen anything interesting yet? Yeah, I think um, I think you're starting to see... I mean, who's the guy? I mean, the one that blew me away, is, I can't remember his name now, uh, Ray, Rafik? Rafik? Rafik Anadol, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, that is like... That's that's a perfect example of it. Like, the like his use of data science and his um, final output mediums are just insane. And these are things that never existed like like 40, 50, 60 years ago. You know, you know when someone says, why does it need to be an NFT or why does it need to be digital art? Like, why can't I just buy a painting? Well, Rafik is your answer to that. Like, try try make a painting of what he does. You can't. It's physically impossible. Um, but yeah, you, you're, gonna, you're gonna see more of these mediums. Like, just the concept of being able to own a piece of art that's animated, like, that would have been very foreign um, decades ago. It's now no longer foreign. It's very, it's very normal. So we're gonna see things like that as as the technology improves and as we go on in this journey, like I don't know, like things like three um, D artists being able to create projections that are then NFTs, and you can have like a little projector that displays it and and connects to your wallet. Like that's just some random thing that I thought thought of on the spot. But that kind of stuff is what we're going to see more of in the future, which I think is it's incredible to get like different outside the box mediums for art that yeah, because they become digital objects and not just digital, yeah, you know, two dimensional art. And that yeah. becomes fascinating. Yeah. yeah, I do believe. Like I do, I think for for digital art and NFTs to succeed, we do need to move beyond just viewing them on our phones and viewing them on on our screens and stuff. And I, I know that's great, and there are, it definitely has its its upsides. But people need to the, the normies need to see things in the flesh to really be able to appreciate it. And that's when they understand a bit more. You know, if you have like. A load of pa- we had a display up on uh, on Oxford Street recently um, on the outside of the Thanos clothing store with, with W1 curates and like people get that like someone walks past and, and says wow that's really really cool and it's like hey well you can actually own it here's how you own it and stuff like that chain um, uh, that process of motion works so much better than oh hey look at my phone by the way you can own this <laughs> you know what I mean so um, we need more of that for it to succeed but I think we will get more of it. Um, right, let's move on to the market overall, the crypto markets, because you're active in that as well. Yeah. Um, what's your? Where do you think we are? Um, where do you think you're going? Um, and how are you thinking about risk? Where you want to be on the risk curve? That kind of stuff. Yeah. Look, I think um, I think there are now multiple confirmations that we are at the beginning of what everyone might call the, the bull cycle. I think um, you know we. we we very clearly bottomed in June last year. We had this long period of consolidation, and then things started to get better in the world. Like from the from the macro standpoint, we've watched inflation drop from nine point one percent to three percent, which is one percent above the Federal Reserve target for inflation. Like how crazy is that? Um, and the risk to that was everyone's like, "Well, the, they're going to get into a bad recession. People are going to lose their jobs." Blah, blah, blah. Like, well, guess what? The U.S. economy is pretty fucking strong still. <laughs> and guess what? Markets went down 85% last year. What, yeah. what more do you want? Blood? Exactly. Yeah, well, exactly. Like that that negative, negative scenario was priced in because that's how people react. And then um, we're now starting to price in the positive scenario because that's where it seems like the probability is. But I think we have a lot higher to go. I really, really do. I, I think that's probably um, true mostly for crypto. Like as it stands, I know this is a very um, simplistic way of looking at it, but the S&P 500 is about 6% off its all-time highs. NASDAQ is about 3% off its all-time highs. Bitcoin is 55% off its all-time highs. ETH is 60% off its all-time highs. And you know, let me not even mention any of the, any of the, the altcoins out there because those numbers are still probably 70, 80, or maybe even 90%. So we are at the beginning um, of a bull cycle of crypto. And you have multiple macro narratives that I think are very, very bullish. But you also have crypto-native narratives too. Like you've had the blowups of last year, all that's washed out and cleaned up. You've had the leverage taken out of the system. You've had a lot of the bad actors removed. And now you have the two of three of the world's largest asset managers in the world. In fact, Larry Fink, again today, the, the largest asset manager in the world, they managed whatever, whatever it is, $9 trillion of assets, saying out there spewing bullish stuff about Bitcoin. Like You have to understand, like Larry Fink is not filing for a Bitcoin ETF 
because he's bearish on Bitcoin. He's not fine for it because he thinks it won't get accepted. And he's not fine for it because he doesn't have demand. He probably has so much demand for it. And I think when we start to see these numbers, once the ETFs get approved and you start to see the numbers of, hey, BlackRock just raised X, X million or billion dollars, probably billion dollars, whatever, ETF for, for Bitcoin. Now they want to do it for ETH. Fidelity just did it. Now they want to do it for ETH. Now Vanguard want to get involved. And it will just create so much real demand for crypto. And we, we're before all of that. We're, we're very early at this point. And of course, the Ripple thing yesterday, I mean, like, as if you didn't need another surprise positive catalyst for crypto, there you go. Like, there's, there's, an, there's another one right there. Just the, all the SEC stuff completely out the window with that. And that makes a strong case for altcoins to, to now rally and Coinbase were, were fast to act there, I think, as well. Yeah. So, how I'm thinking about this as well is like, we know about the ETF. Looks like, you know, I would give it like a 75% chance, something like that. So, it's, pre it's pretty certain. Let's say, they inject 10 billion of new liquidity into Bitcoin. How risk markets work, and again, you understand this because you've always traded the riskier end of the markets, you know, traditional markets, is the money that goes in here gets recycled and goes down the risk curve. And $10 billion in Bitcoin is very different than $10 billion in Solana because the market couldn't take it. But so it, it creates this whole move in the risk curve. You know, while everybody now thinks, well, this all means it's Bitcoin dominance all the way forward because of the ETF, I think it's the opposite. Completely, completely the opposite. I, I totally agree. I think um, the reason for a big reason for Bitcoin dominance this year was Bitcoin is not security. Everything else is, and that's now changing. But look, like we all bought ETH and Bitcoin last summer because we didn't know what else to buy. We knew that was safe, and we would buy those and DCA on those until we got to a point where. Um, the world is slightly changing. We think um, things are getting better. Now it's time to move down the risk spectrum because I don't want to just try and make a two or three or four X on ETH. I want to try and make the next 10X, 50X or 100X. But the probability of achieving that is much higher now than it was last year. And of course, nothing really did, did that in the last 12 months. So I totally agree. Like People will start to sell their Bitcoin and start to sell their ETH and the, the other large cap to chase returns for higher risk assets because you're, at the end of the day, if you're a Bitcoin maxi or an ETH maxi, whatever it is, you'll be sitting there, you'll be watching some random coin go up a thousand, two thousand percent, and you'll be like, well, I need to get involved in this stuff. Like now's the time to get involved in it. And, and that's how I'm thinking about risk now. Like I've, I've been through this period of averaging down on, on majors for the last 12 months. But you know, literally two or three weeks ago, I had you know, a long conversation with Mando and we were like, now's the time. Like this is it. Like we need to, we need to change our portfolios. We need to have more risk in it. And it's not just about owning ETH anymore. And whether it's having levered ETH, whether it's having you know other tokens that you think um, can give you uh, a higher beta on returns on ETH, whatever it is, I think you need to push yourself out the risk spectrum here um, and 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 chase those returns because you only get this shot like once every few years, right? You you don't get it all the time. And I missed. Don't, don't fuck it up. Don't fuck it up. Yeah, I, I love the don't fuck it up in, in your thing, and we're fully adopting it and, and pushing it. Don't fuck it up is the new like mantra of this cycle, I think, because I was late to things in 2021 and I still did okay, but this is the first time like I'm here right at the beginning look, of it. Look, this is your game, right? You grew up in high yield and distressed. The game in high yield and distress is buy it when nobody else wants it. Yeah. Be the, pro the provider of liquidity of last resort and then ride the fucking cycle. Yeah, because that's when you get the gains, right? And the cycle works exactly the same way. As soon as people start getting bullish, it flows into U.S. Treasuries, and then people start going out the risk curve, and eventually the stuff that you all bought that was illiquid mess ends up going up 10x. You know, it's 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 that. It's it's literally that, and we're, we've we've been the liquidity providers. We've had that part of the, the stage. We've been the buy when everyone else wants to sell part of the stage, and now we're in the ride the cycle part of the stage. And I think. You know, it's, it's, it's a funny one because people always tell me, it's like, well, you were advocating so hard to buy the blood, but now that everyone's bullish, you're not, you're not advocating to take profits. And yes, like if you've made good returns, sure, take, take your profits, but never underestimate like how powerful these cycles can be. And your time horizon matters, right? Time horizon matters. Great. Um, do yeah. not short-term trade a rampant crypto bull market. You will yeah. massively underperform, which is the the don't fuck it up. Just buy and hold. That worst case, just do that, yeah. and worry about it when it's up at new all time highs and beyond, and everybody's counting one thousand, two thousand every time Bitcoin goes up. Well, worry about it then, but now no.
I think I think that's it. I think my sell targets would be sell something like ten percent, so not not even like just a small percentage of it when we hit all time highs, like when we're back to five k on ETH, when we're back to sixty nine k on Bitcoin. Like between then now and then, like I don't want to sell anything, um, and even then I only want to sell ten percent because my view is that um, we'll go materially higher, we'll go much 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 higher, and then we'll have a new cycle, and then we'll go even higher the next cycle, and and and, and so forth. So it's it's like where we're sitting here right now with like prices still where they were five or six years ago before you've had all these changes in crypto it's just madness it's total total madness um and i think it's i honestly really really believe it's an unbelievable opportunity i don't want people to go out there and gamble their life savings because you certainly ever put in what you can afford to lose but yeah and just don't use leverage i mean leverage you can, just don't use leverage just don't use leverage yeah yeah i did mention that earlier but i don't use it <laughs> um <laughs> yeah, well, you're, you're a professional trader right you're right. <laughs> just generally don't use leverage because generally don't use it yeah you just an 80 vol asset with leverage is a route to the poorhouse if yeah. you don't know what you're doing exactly options exactly. are all right but they tend to get very expensive anyway yeah absolutely but sometimes you just got to recognize these paradigm shifts and when you're in one and even if you don't know you're in one if you think there's a good probability you just got to take some risk you have to go for it and i remember the i remember my first day on the trading floor uh, a senior trader said to me, "Is like if you have conviction in something, you just got to you got to put the risk on. Like, don't think, don't dilly dally over levels and stuff. Just put the risk on, have conviction in it, and, and ride it. And I th I think that's where we are now. I really do. Yeah, I'm the same. It's that mid curve thing. Just get out of the mid curve at this point, right? It's a crypto bull market. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Um. So final question before we get to audience questions. And anybody watching this, drop some questions anywhere, and we'll try to get to them. But the question." is about, okay, let's assume we're going out to the tail now and looking for diamonds in the dust. This is the same question with NFTs. It's so difficult. You know, do you build a basket? Do you really focus on something because you like DeFi or are you like Mando and you're just talking about Pepe all day? You know, <laughs> what is it? How the hell do you think about that? I, I gave up. I started an asset management company instead <laughs> to give it to hedge funds because it's their job. So exponential asset management is a fund of funds that invest in digital asset hedge funds because they can do that all day because it's so hard. I think if you're, if you're looking at altcoins, let's move away from like Bitcoin, ETH and L1s, you kind of have two options really. You, you either buy stuff where you like what they're building, you like the technology and you hope it works. Um, or you buy stuff because you're buying it for the intention economy. And that's what the Pepe trade is. And I have to admit, Mando's fully convinced me on that too. But, <laughs> but I think the, you might be right as well, but I, it's just not my wheelhouse. He was like hitting me up about it. I'm like, I get it, but I just... I love that you hit you up about it. <laughs> I'm going to make fun of him for that later. <laughs> but I think, you know, the way that crypto works and, you know, what happened with like Doge and Shiba and, and some of this other stuff, is like it's attention economy stuff. And it's still mostly retail traders, but even institutional people, they're on Twitter, like they understand how this market works. So you have to just identify like things that have the um, right DNA where they can capture some attention. And I think that's where some, sometimes people get lost and like, oh, this coin's amazing because it solves this issue and this tech is brilliant. But, you know, like, again, you got, you got you to, gotta, you know, do you want to be on like the tail curves on the mid curve? Like, what I mean, do you somebody put that thing on Twitter this morning. Did you see there was like, something about ZK roll-ups with snark and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And the crypto, the actual crypto person is, it's got a dog in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, tech, tech does not win. It doesn't win. It doesn't win. And I think get, getting attention and virality does, not too dissimilar to NFTs and trying to identify those things. And, you know, one of the reasons why we, we liked and looked at Pepe was because of that. But, you know, a lot of these meme coins, when you, you look at the numbers, the volumes die down very quickly. They, they go to zero. With that one, it's doing, I mean, yesterday they did $400 million in volume. Like it's like consistently been top 20 coins almost volume wise, like every single day for the last two months. And that's just the spot. Like if you look at perps, it's the top three or four. So those volumes are crazy. I've never seen anything do that insane amount of volumes. And it has all the DNA of like, this is a good meme. This is the potentially the strongest internet meme of all time. And it naturally has a community around it and naturally is crypto native, all these kind of things. Narratives just, um, they just make sense. And you can't explain this to any normal person or traffic person that, well, where's the value and all this stuff. And, but you know, I think that's overthinking it. I really do. And that's something that I like is like, okay, I, maybe we're wrong and it's extremely high risk, but, um, if we are in this big cycle and you do have a big altcoin rally and you do have a big 
tension economy rally, like that's got a, a good as a, you know, that's a surefire, not surefire bet, but as good a bet as anything else out there. And the way that we like to trade is we just pick something that we're convicted on, just go big on it and be very concentrated. And, um, and that's what we've done there. So when the wreck fund, <laughs> I bet you're thinking about it. Yeah, we, so we visited it uh, about a year, year or so ago, and then we decided not to because it wasn't a good entry point for the market. Um, and then we decided, well, we just trade with our own money because you don't have to answer to anyone and it's more fun. But I have to say, like, looking at all these opportunities now and looking at where things are, it's like, man, if we just raise a fund and put it into some pretty simple trades, you could really, really um, turn a lot of money to your investors potentially with, with a good probability and, and obviously make a lot of money to the fund as well. So um, I don't know if we'll go down that route or not yet. We have, we have things in so many different pies, but it's always in the back of our minds for sure. Yeah, because you can't get that out of your skin, right? You yeah. Once a trader, always a trader. Always, right? always yeah, always. <laughs> right, let's get to go to some questions. Um, okay, Peter, who's on the Real Vision website, uh, now we've had time to read the XRP case. What do you think this now means for other coins named as securities by the SEC? It, it significantly weakens the arguments against those other coins. I think you have to look into the specifics of, of XRP. So I think they said the institutional sales actually did offend securities laws, but the programmatic sales didn't. So you have to look at the way that other coins did their ICOs or did their sales. And I think potentially some coins that did ICOs maybe still violates SEC laws. But um, as a whole, for example, ETH, which was which was in that bucket earlier, ETH is fine. ETH will be fine um, as a result of it. So um, I think it will have a knock-on effect to other coins. I think you should see other altcoins that got beaten up because of this bounce back. But the smart, the real smart trade, to be honest with you, is to look into the exact language um of this ruling and find out which coins it applies to where they're clear and which coins it applies to where they're not clear and if you want to be really creative you can put on that spread trade or whatever but um you know i think that's what you should be doing um okay next question jorge or george on the royal vision website gm great fan for those of us who are well positioned already please some thoughts on how to exit so that we don't eat another so we don't eat another my third bear market. So <laughs> my view on this is I don't think you should exit. And I've gone through the maths of exiting versus not exiting. And I always find exiting is actually suboptimal. But people don't like it. I'm so used to the drawdown. I don't care. Um, but what do you think about exits? We talked a bit about scaling out. Yeah. My view on exits is there should be more to do with your personal life and personal goals and ambitions in terms of the money than whether you think it's going to go up or down. If you're like, I want to buy a house, when you make that money to, to reach that goal, you should sell it. Even if you think it's going to go high, you should sell it because you're achieving that goal. If you right. have kids that you want to put through school, whatever it is. And money can't be the goal. Life, yeah. life is the goal itself. Life right? is the goal, yeah. And, and that's how I'm thinking about it. I'm like, well, um, you know, maybe one day my wife and I will have kids, we want to buy a house. Like, when I get to that stage, like, that's what I'll, I'll want to take profits on. Um, and so I've set myself price targets in my head where I'll sell. 10%, his Russell, 20%. And then once you set yourself those targets, you have to stick to them. You have to stick to the plan. Like when it gets to your sell target, you can't just be like, oh, I think it's going high. So I'm not going to sell now. Like <laughs> it's classic. Yeah. Classic. That's not the reason why you set it. You set it to, you know, avoid because you wanted that money out. And I think that's the way you have to start thinking about it. like figure out how much money you want to make or take out to achieve whatever in real life goals you want to achieve. And then back solve for what percentage you need to sell at each level. And then the main thing is write it down a piece of paper and stick to the plan. Like don't deviate from it, no matter what happens. Yeah, I think that's right. And if if your goal, the cost of your goal is less than the total capital you've got in the space, you can ride the rest because you've essentially taken profits. Exactly. What you've done is banked it into lifestyle, and you can go again without the fear of the hard thing is thinking you're about to buy a new house and then suddenly you can't afford to. Because what you've done is crushed your kind of image of your future self that you promise yourself. Yeah, that's really hard to deal with. The PL going up and down is much easier than that thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's the right way to do it. Uh, okay, Timothy, who's on the RV website. Ovi, I love the skateboards in the corner. <laughs> Are the skateboards part of an NFT project? So one of them is a skateboard I bought when I lived in NYC, which is not. Um, but the other one that's slightly more colored is actually, um, I bought a piece of art from an artist called Alien Queen. Um, it's a one-on-one -on -one unique piece of art. And for all her collectors, she actually printed the artwork on a skateboard, on a skateboard deck and then sent it to us. So 
um, the coloured one there is a, is a, is exactly that. <laughs> There's actually a few skaters in the space because you know, fuck Render, who both you and I know, Ian Rogers, another skater. There's a whole bunch of them, right? It's a weird sub subculture within NFTs. Yeah, I th you know, I think that's not coincidence. I think you know, NFTs are kind of counterculture. Skateboarding has been for a, for a long time, and I think it you know it, it brings together similar people. I would say. Okay, next question. Paul on the Real Vision website. I think Ovi should tokenize his hair for the RV community. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're getting like Faroque, right? Just because you've all got the same names doesn't mean you have to have the same hair. <laughs> it's definitely getting a bit long. I think it's been almost a year since I've cut it now. So, uh, yeah, I'm well on my way to... to you starting to look like a Bollywood star. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, Bijan, who works for Real Vision, runs our community on the Real Vision website. Recently been hearing about ERC 6551 and AI PFPs or AI PEPs. Curious to hear your thoughts. He you asked for my thoughts. I have no idea, but you might know. Yeah, I think um, I can't remember if it's 6551 or a different standard, but it's pretty interesting. Like there's things that will come into Ethereum standards will allow you to have subscriptions on chain. It will allow for NFTs to be owned by other NFTs. Um, and it will allow for, I think, different level of like dynamicness that you that kind of exists in NFTs right now but not to um not to a level or a standard where people are amazed or wild by it but all this stuff is the future like again it goes back to the question like what is the difference between buying a painting and buying an NFT and you want to make that NFT have features and standards and functionality that is not possible to replicate in a painting and I think some of these standards will will achieve that and so first I've heard of AI PFP, so I'm curious to, after this, read a bit more about what that exactly is. But um, I've seen a lot of the 6551 stuff, and I think it's, um, it's going to be interesting. And it will also change, uh, it will change the way that consumers also interact with NFTs as well in a way that's a bit more understanding and, and user-friendly than, than what we're used to. Okay. Gary on the Real Vision website, any views on Galaxy, Galaxy Digital? I just lump them all together and say that they probably, if the market goes up, they go up. But no real comment whether Nova's built a good business or not. Yeah, it's, I've, I've, I've not thought. I mean, this is now going to be like what, like post bankruptcy proceedings kind of thing, and you're going to have to look, figure out the recovery value of everything and um, look at it from like a distressed mindset. Um, on that note, I would say like it's very hard unless you're like in the weeds. It's very hard to get the right information as to where it could go and where it could recover because people will have access to private information that you will, won't have access to. So yeah, like I, I would lump it within everything, but I think as, as we see the fallout of this and 3AC and Celsius and all these things like FTX, all of them will have different recoveries and they'll be based on numbers that most of us don't have access to. And so it's very hard to like judge whether to buy or sell, if that makes sense, um, without having all the information and I say this having worked on distress desk. I think we're talking about a different stock because Galaxy's the Novo's investment bank. That's not that's not gone bust, is it? You know what? I was thinking of Digital Galaxy Group uh, of DCG. Oh, D digital, yeah, DCG. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> Novo's gone bust? Oh my god! Oh, uh, I was thinking of DCG. God, <laughs> everyone, this Gary, poor old Gary is having a heart attack. <laughs> um. I don't have a strong view on 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 yeah. Galaxy Digital, um, but uh, apologies <laughs> for the. Uh, what about is he breaking news here? Is there something apologies, I don't know? Yeah, apologies for the uh, the um, mix up. <laughs> uh, okay, Ralph on the RV website. Do you know if Damien Hurst is planning to offer any more NFTs? I don't know actually. I know his business manager and stuff like that. Um, have you come across? Any of that group, any of the the Henny group, or any of those guys? Uh, not that I'm aware of. You had um, you had great expectations, which was a follow up to that's right to um currency, but um he also is pretty he's a good businessman and he wouldn't be active in this market. I think he's smart. You know, he, he probably realizes he probably knows this is not the right time to come in and, and sell art. Would I be surprised if he came back in a in a stronger market to sell stuff? I wouldn't be surprised. Um, Did you buy the uh, the currency? We did, yeah. We we did have some. We actually ended up selling them all, but um, uh, we did originally buy them. Yeah. Yeah, I kept mine. You know, it was just a really interesting idea of getting yeah. the physical, because it really it's him proving that digital art is worth the same as physical art. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's just a really interesting experiment. I think it will stand the test of time. Yeah. 
because there's Damien Hirst experimenting and proving for the first time that these things are um, of equivalence of value, depending yeah. who owns them. Um, okay, running into the last one. Um, Simon on YouTube, what's the chance of an Ethereum spot ETF in the US? I personally think it's quite high. I think you'll need some SEC clarity, but once everyone does Bitcoin um, and it goes really well, people will say, well, I want to do ETH. It's just, it's just the next, it's just, it's just the natural progression. Fidelity, you know, Fidelity have shown that way. They start with all the Bitcoin offerings. Now they've got ETH. Yeah. Everybody wants to get ETH done. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I mean, I don't and know. Do you know why they want to do ETH? Why? It's because it's the same as what they do with ETFs. They take the stock borrow. In this case, they'll keep the yield. Yeah. They'll give you spot returns of ETH and they'll yeah. keep the yield. Of course yield they will. Bad, yeah. It's so lucrative for them. Yes. Yeah, that's genius. Um, so I guess the answer is pretty high. I don't know the, I mean, I don't know what has to happen from a regulatory and, and legal standpoint, but, um, you know, if you, if ETH is in the clear securities wise, um, I think people will try. I think people try because it's lucrative businesses for, for all of them. Yeah, exactly. Um, Zindagi on YouTube. Greetings from Cambodia. This is why I love this shit, right? Everybody's everywhere. It's fantastic. Any thoughts on Seoul moving forwards? I think everyone knows my view on Seoul. What's your view? Yeah, I like it. I, I think um, I think it's proven that it's not going to die. I think the, the reason why people don't want to touch other L1s because they think this network will no longer be used. Um, Solana's been around for a while now and they have people actively working on it. I think it will do pretty well. And that's one where like, if you're looking for, I think if you're looking for more juice outside of ETH or outside of Bitcoin, whatever it is, like that has it. Like, it's, it's, What's that down from all time? Has that 80% or something like that probably? Um, and you know, there is, I'm not an ETH, I love ETH, ETH, but I'm not an ETH maxi. Like there's room in the world for more than one L1 chain. And I think each cycle you'll get like another thing that joins the group of things that will always exist and and perform. And I don't own any Solana uh, at all. Um, I definitely thought about it a lot, but personally, I think it will, it will fall into that category. Really interesting to see, um, Tolly talking about just theoretically, is, could it be a layer two to ETH? Could you use ETH as the security layer? And I'm like, oh, that's interesting because everything becomes interoperable if you kind of have a couple of one or two mega change, which is the security level, and everything goes on top. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I hadn't thought about that before. I do think the future is this omni-chain future where the user doesn't really know what chain it's on and everything right. Um, with each other and um, which is probably constructive for anything that is still around in five years but yeah it's an interesting thought actually I'd never thought of that as a user. No it struck me when he was he was kind of debating you know just out on Twitter to see and I just like that's fascinating because if we want to have this omni-chain world do you need all of the security levels in every chain because then you can be faster you know it's the layer two idea but use ETH as the base layer I'm like that's interesting um, okay, uh, Castillero on YouTube. Okay, this is one for you as well. How do you see Web3 gaming could be huge in the next cycle? Um, IMX and Matic seem the obvious winners. Or it's not Matic anymore, it's now Poll or something, isn't oh, it? Yeah. Poll, the obvious winners. How are you thinking through gaming? Because you've, you've mentioned it before. Yeah, I mean, gaming is just, is, you have to have to think gaming Web3 is going to be so huge. Like, it's so such a massive, like esports and online games, such a massive sector outside of Web3. And the reason why they haven't jumped into Web3 is because the game makers and the operators are making so much money, they have no reason to, right? But eventually, like, this is something that's, like, having this idea of, like, interoperable currencies within, uh, that underpin the games and the native currencies, like, it's so much of a benefit for game players. Eventually, someone is going to make a, a game that's a lot better than Axie Infinity, like a good Web3 game that will go viral. Maybe it's Yuga Labs with other side. Maybe it's something that's building on IMX or Matic, but someone will do it. It'll go viral and people will realize like, oh shit, I can like play this game and make real money from it and, um, you know, be able to like change this into like ETH or whatever it is and um, have a real like play to earn component to it that, that is on a good game. Just, we just need that game to come. We haven't seen that the game. The issue is with, the, with all of these is, I think of these as economies, and if you're not careful, you just get capital flight. You need to get FDI into the economy. Yeah. And how do you drive the two-way flow 
of capital in and out of the borders. That's that's the thing that needs to be solved that I've not yet seen fully solved in yeah, crypto I, closed economies. Yeah, I guess like I don't know, is is the FDI is the FDI that the um web two native people realize they have to make the switch because someone's nailed it with a really good game. Like Maybe that's what it is, and, and that's not what we're seeing. At the or moment. maybe you have to have a certain amount of stake, like you need to go to the casino. Yeah. So you need to buy to enter the world, yeah, or at least stake yeah, it. Something it has to be something that creates a two-way demand for this stuff. Because if not, the gamers are always like Ax Infinity, always incentivized, yeah, to just take the money out and you know, and, and then and the, yeah. pay for their food in the Philippines. You know that because that was yeah. the it was the Filipino-driven, and it was like you know it was a way of making money in dollars. But yep. then it just becomes difficult. Um, okay, we're just coming into the last few minutes here. Um, not selling. This is BB on YouTube. Not selling the majors at all-time highs has been a strategy that's worth worked for both prior cycles. Would you apply the same framework to meme coins like Pepe? That's a that's a pretty good question. I mean. Something like Pepe has only been around for a few months. So it's hard to like compare against all-time highs. I think what you probably want to do is like apply some kind of a ratio to ETH or, or Bitcoin or some kind of a beta, and then um, see what that how that ratio changes as ETH or Bitcoin goes a lot higher. Like for me, in my head, it's like, well, I'm not looking at Pepe or any other meme coin and thinking we're gonna get to the all-time high and sell ten percent. But I'm like, well. Bitcoin gets here when ETH gets here. How has that relationship versus the majors That's changed? Right. And if it's at, you know, if Bitcoin dominance is still 52% and, you know, the altcoins haven't really moved and Bitcoin's at all-time highs, then I'm like, well, I probably want to keep these altcoins. If it's dropped to 40% or 35% and the altcoins have outperformed, then that's, that feels like a better time to sell. So I think you want to, when you're applying that strategy, I think you want to be looking at ratios to majors um, rather than the absolute levels on, on the altcoins. Um, I mean, I got to that with the whole of the investing world. I kind of looked at everything you know, and what drives it and how it drives it, and then broke it all down to, okay, what's going to drive the most returns for the view? And I can't find anything that beats crypto, right? So technology, yes, and we've seen it this year, but crypto has done double that. And so I've just kind of, my base investment is, will it be ETH or not? It's as simple as that. You know, I kind of think Solana might, just because I like the chart and I can see, you know, it's the third branded chain right because they're all in the business of selling blockchains and they've got a brand yeah. most people don't have a brand yet so i can see that but i just think of that and same with my nfts it's all about can i beat the one asset allocation of truth for me which is just eth and it's not because i'm an eth max or anything else it's just it's the best vehicle to express the view yeah absolutely i i completely agree and that's that's a, it's a perfect natural benchmark i think okay final question um Okay, Varys on YouTube. When do you see the next correction in the S&P and crypto this year? Um, and I, I know, Raoul, you don't want to trade crypto, but if you wanted to trade ETH for the next six months, how would you do it? So the next correction, I, I'm assuming that means a correction downwards. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, there are still a few risks out there. You have the FOMC at the end of this month, and for whatever reason, Powell seems to be want to be very hawkish the whole time. And those those FOMC uh, meetings we get every month, they're potential risks. I think um, you the other big risk right now is like it's been a, it's been smooth sailing for inflation because the annual comps are very easy. Like when you're comparing nine percent less inflation inflation last year to to today, it's easy to beat that. So as we go into the next six months with a very strong labor market in the US, it's the comps start to get a bit more challenging. And the question is, can we keep dropping below three percent? Or do we start to, where do we bottom out? And, and, and do we start rising or do we stay stable there? And I think you will find that information out in the next six months. In the next six months, that number is very, very important amid still a very, very strong labor market, amid still what appears to be a hawkish Fed. So that's a scenario where I think you could, it could create a correction. I don't think it changes things in over 18 months, but um, that's a possible scenario where you see some kind of correction in the next few months. I'm going to go with the opposite, which is the first rate cut it's when you get a big fucking sell-off. I remember this from trading Eurodollar futures, right? It's the anticipation of the easing of, you know, that's why everything's going up. It's the anticipation of, of uh, um, stimulus to help the business cycle develop and, and bottom out and start moving forwards. And I, the amount of times I got caught out by, delivered the, you know, by the rumor sell the fact. 
And before you know it, you, you wear a hundred basis point pullback in euro dollars, which is huge for no reason, but everybody's over their ski tips long betting on it. So my guess is if there's a bigger, broader correction, it's because we've all bought into the same narrative and there's no buyers left at that particular moment. That will, As opposed yep. to bad news, it's probably good news that does it. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess like if they're cutting, by the time they get to rate cuts, maybe we're not in a stronger place um, economically as well. So housing market could be, could be, you know, could finally break or whatever it is. So um, there's those things as well that might time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that all of that commercial real estate has to end up on the balance sheet of the of the Fed and probably all the world's central banks because there's no answer. Nobody's ever going back to the office again. So there's no answer to that stuff. So as soon as the leases come up, it's going to get dumped back on the banks and the whole banking system goes under unless the Fed takes it. Yeah, 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 I agree. Perfect. Listen, Ovi, fantastic, really great, wide-ranging, fun conversation and uh, appreciate you dropping by. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Always a, always a pleasure and hope uh, you and everyone listening has a great weekend. Yeah, and hopefully I'll see you in person somewhere soon in the world. Yeah, I'm sure we will. <laughs> All right, take care. Cheers. Bye. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. 